Woo! Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show, Designers Discussing Design. We're on episode, I don't know, something like 87, I don't know. But we're talking pitching games and taking names. That's right. And uh, unfortunately, Sen's not here. Once in a blue moon, he has a, a meeting, you know, that real world life stuff gets in the way. But uh, thankfully, we have Tiffany uh, back from her Europe excursions. And we also have special... Uh, co-host Brian Lewis with us. Brian, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am great. I am. Uh, I, I'm great because I was fighting a cold. Sen was away last week. He had a cold, and I think I I had like sympathy pains for him because basically <laughs> once I stopped, the, got off the show, I got sick, and I've been ah. sick since. So, well, hope you're feeling better soon. Thank you, thank you. So I'm starting to feel a little bit better, and uh, I'm curious, Tiffany, how are you feeling after all that world traveling? better i was crazy sick there was something nasty going through essen i know quite a few people ended up getting taken out by it even during the con like mia the blogger was taken out so bad she had to skip two days of the con and just was mm. sick in her hotel room so oh. yeah i i am still a little nasally and i'll mute when i and i like lean out when i blow my nose but i am feeling much much better overall all right. Well, before we get to all your awesome games you got to play, um, let's let's go uh, through Brian and me first because we're going to be less exciting. So <laughs> yes. I think, I mean, Brian, what have you been playing lately? Anything stand out to you? <laughs> um, I haven't played much in the past couple weeks because of my move, but I did buy um, uh, A Feast for Odin, which nice. I got that box, and that box is huge. So much cardboard. I know. Yeah, it's just tight and small. Um, but the one thing I was actually wasn't expecting because I hadn't read anything about it when I opened it up was the uh, plastic inserts in there to put your chits right. in. Right. I was like, that's a nice touch. Very um, nice touch. And then I was driving back from visiting my family last week, and I decided to stop at my local family game uh, gaming store and walked in, and they had a copy of Terraforming Mars. So Ooh, I was nice. like, that's out of stock. So I picked that up. So. Those are things I want to get to the table. Tonight is game night, so hopefully one of those things will make it. So cool. Yeah. Well, um, myself, I have not uh, in the last week really played anything interesting while I've been sick. So mm -hmm. I don't have much to add to the, this conversation, but that gives time for Tiffany to brag a lot. <laughs> so, all right. Well, Hit I us mean with it. Daryl, you know, like when you go to a con, you don't actually play a lot. And what you do no. play tends to be like shorter, more filler-ish games. Sure, sure. So that being said, while we were at Essen, the game that we played the most by far was Honshu, um, mm. which is a trick-taking tile placement city building game set in feudal Japan. I'm getting really good at that line. Mm. Um, but we really, really like that one, and we're really excited that they're working to get U.S. distribution for it. Um, mm. We also, we we got like a lot of the big buzzy titles that people are super excited about. I have played none of them so far. Right. Um, Steve has played two of them because he is a little bit more footloose, fancy free um, sure. when it comes to cons and stuff. But we're really excited. Um, tonight we're playing Cry Havoc, which like arrived when we were in Germany. Right, that's Grant's game, right? Yeah, that's Grant's game. Um, we're going to play that tonight on our stream. And then we're also, for anybody that's interested, we're doing two streams a week minimum to get through this Essen Hall. So um, I think the stream on Thursday night is going to probably be either Great Western Trail or Railroad Revolution. Nice. One of those well, two titles. Maybe we'll do a poll, poll to vote. Yeah. So. 
I'm really excited. Did you Lorenzo? Lorenzo's on my... Did you like yeah, it? We did. We we streamed that last week, actually. So um, it really reminds me a lot of uh, Grand Austria Hotel. Like, it right. scratches the same itch, but it's a lot less... Fiddly isn't the right word. Like in Grand Austria Hotel, there can be a game where like there's literally no coffee. Oh, oh yeah, Steve's back. <laughs> nice. Well, now that the dogs are going crazy, I'll take the lead here. And you know what? I don't want to um, miss the opportunity to um, get one of our guests on. We're still waiting for one, which I think uh, I may have miscommunicated the time zones to. But thankfully, we have Nate Murray, who's uh with us and uh tiffany hopefully you can bring him uh back from the darkness he he should be able to bring himself no no it's all you oh it's me oh the power i wield yeah (laughs) okay there we go welcome back you're gonna have to unmute yourself there we go darkness. so uh necromanced Tell 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 our viewers a little bit of where you're at because you're you're not uh, at home. Yeah, I'm calling from a tin can uh, at the Omni Atlanta. I'm at the GTS Come and Play, uh, which is extra exciting because I'll be debuting the retail edition of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as Ooh. soon as we finish this call. So exciting! Oh, I can't wait to get my copy. My copy's on the way, so. I'm very excited about that. Um, well, uh, while we wait for Josh, uh, we're just going to focus all our questions on Nate and just uh, gang up on him with lots of questions. We're talking about pitching games. We're talking about development of games, all that fun stuff, because uh, both uh, Josh and Nate do that full-time with uh, with IDW and with Gray Fox, respectively. So um, I'm going to start us off, actually, um, and then uh, we'll go from there. But Nate, I mean, we're familiar with each other, obviously, but I, for our viewers, could you tell a little bit about uh, just initially when you're listening for a pitch, you know, what are you, what are you looking for? What, uh, what do people need to do? Sure. Um, I look for, uh, I, I want to see the components very quickly. And the reason I do that is because in my head, I want to be immediately looking at component density versus uh, gameplay complexity and make sure that, uh, because that's the biggest really fast red flag to me. And so immediately I want to see a list of components and then I want to hear a general overview of what the gameplay is, how many players and general timeline. Uh, and I hope that the designer can communicate that clearly and concisely. Uh, and then from there, we'll start down the road of what questions to ask and what turn structure looks like and what the gimmick is of the game. Okay. Well, you know, um, uh, we have a question on, on our YouTube channel, which I just want to throw at you since we're talking about that. When people are pitching to you and they bring a prototype, how polished do you want the game visually? Do you want more of like a blank slate like you want to use your own imagination or do you want to see what the, what the uh, designer had in mind? Um, I go to freeicons.net and just grab whatever icons you need, use whatever pickup art you need. Um, IDW, like, I mean, in reality, we, 
our advantage, I, we're younger in games and there's certainly other advantages, but our advantage is definitely we have the best artists around. We sure. have access to 15 years worth of the, the best artists working. So I don't know. You don't need to, as long as it's clear and I can see the icons and know what they mean. If you want to pick up some cute pickup art that kind of gives a thematic feel, fine. But I can play numbers and icons. I don't, to me, I don't care. Gotcha. The, yeah. Actually, it's a red flag to see too much art because then I think you're going to be more resistant to change. So if you tell me you've paid for art, I yeah. get a little worried. Sure. Yeah. What about theme? What about, um, I'm building off that question, how do you feel if somebody comes in and is just like, this is the theme and this is what we need it to be? Or do you prefer they just come in and be like, I don't know what it could be? Like, I don't know what it could be scares me because then it's like uh, maybe a little too abstract for me. Like I'm not trying to make the next go or we're not trying to make the next go. Um, if you're very insistent on theme, that's totally fine as long as it carries through. Uh, I gave notes to a guy the other day. Uh, I was bored in the airport, so I just tweeted out, hey, show me your game and I'll, I'll give some feedback. Uh, I can't remember his name. I'm sorry, but the – the victory condition was winning a contract from NASA, but the whole game was exploring space and completing contracts. And so I was like, "Well, why do you need the NASA contract? You're already contract. You're already Elon Musk with SpaceX. Why are you looking for public funding?" So we kind of worked through just basic, of you know, trying to get reputation toward NASA. Maybe you're driving up your IPO price or something, but. Little things like that. Um, just make sure it carries through if you're going to be serious about your theme. Totally. Uh, well, I'm curious, um, as uh, as you mentioned, IDW is newer to games. Um, some people might be familiar with some titles. Um, maybe if you could uh, mention a few titles that people might know, and then also what are some uh, games that you're looking for? What's what's kind of a, some of the sweet spots for IDW? Absolutely. Um, games you might know, Back to the Future, uh, both card and dice game, which is just new to the market. Uh, I mean, we're very known for our uh, licensed product, X-Files, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is debuting today. Of course, uh, with Panasaurus, we have Machi Koro, so everyone knows that game as well. Uh, as far as what we're looking for, trying to get into the under-hour space mostly, uh, we have some epic games in construction, but really I see gameplay coming down to actions that take place less than an hour. Space, uh, player count five at least is nice. Um, really building out kind of a, a non-deductive higher player count game library is another goal of ours. Uh, and then just, uh, you know, pleasing tactile games. We have um, Psychotsu coming out, which will be a very pleasing game with uh, nice acrylic tokens. And then we have an entire game line under construction that's about to, I will announce that within the next two weeks, that's all about really interesting tactile gameplay. So um, just trying to, to change a little bit and have memorable experiences that you can play through pretty quick. Awesome. Yeah, I also know... Uh Panasaurus on that side has a, a game coming out that I co-designed with John Gilmore. Um, can't really mention much about it, but I've seen the art and it's phenomenal. Uh, I think people are really going to dig it. Um, we do have a question from YouTube. It's about pitching games. Hello, um, okay. Yeah. So um, 
the question was basically, are there, you know, any one or two top pitch turnoffs, you know, that really turns you off as a publisher. But I guess if we can just kind of make that a general question is what are your pet peeves <laughs> when people come and pitch to you? Yeah. I can't remember again. I'm blanking on it. I think it was Matthew Baldwin on Twitter who was killing me one night. We were going back and forth about the big red flags in uh, game pitches. Uh, number one is when you don't know how to very simply communicate your game. When you're setting up the game and it's going turn order here and this is that, and I'm getting ifs and buts before I've gotten the, this is the type of game it is, this is how you win. So you need to have that locked, the 30-second lock. Um, yeah, like I said, if you've got half original art and half pickup, but no plan, like if you're either going to deliver the whole thing and you've done all the art and you'll do it to our print specs, okay. Or we're going to do all the art, but this this weird mishmash for these pieces, but not those pieces, so you'd have to come in. That's scary. Um, the big thing for me is um, not knowing terms properly. So like saying something like it's an abstract game. Uh, okay, on your turn, you're going to roll and move, draw five cards, uh, spin a dial, and then do seven other luck-based things. Like, well, it's not abstract. And uh, last, so that one makes me laugh. And then uh, the two fun ones that that I, I think are big red flags are: it's been under development for X number of years. When X is anything under, uh, and then I'm a retired Y. So it just the re, a retired marine biologist. I'm a retired chemist just i don't know why but those two things generally lead to interesting but not very uh fruitful game pitches right um just real quick uh question about that pitching how do you feel when people say oh my game is a cross between uh dominion and agricola you know that kind of thing to kind of pitch their game how do you feel about that love it Perfect. Know what your game is doing. Okay. That's that's the right way to. It's this meets that. That's how movie scripts are pitched in the same manner, you know. So right. so that shows that you know the market, and that you're conscious of where you've taken from. Nothing is completely original. So don't feel bad saying it's Splendor meets Mage Knight. Uh, but but don't feel bad knowing that. And it's better than when you pre- present me a this is the new best party game. And I say, Oh, why is it better than code names? And you say, what's code names? That shows you're not <laughs> doing market research. And right. that's really, and a lot of people will do that. So, um, okay. You know, it's, it's splendor with a twist. It's, it's this with a twist. That's, that's where, that's our starting shared base. Yeah. On from there. And you can show me what's the twist and to give away Daryl's best line that I know he has to teach everyone this, but he sets his overview, he sets his game, and then he says, and that's where the interesting meat of the game is. And it's a very nice delivery for a pitch. I use that now when I'm teaching games or when I'm like telling people about games, I'm like, this is the game, da 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 da. And then the twist is. Yep, that's perfect. That's where it keys me to lock in. And that's, you're telling me this is the most important thing. This is when I want to sell your game to everyone, this is what I'm going to lock into. And this is where the fun is going to be. And this is what we need to focus on. And maybe we cut off some other stuff. And that's something we'll do later in the process to make sure that this twist is celebrated.
Nice. All right. Well, then I'm. I think I'm gonna jump to my question then, <laughs> and then we'll jump back to <laughs> Tiffany. But I, I am actually curious if you could share um, an example of the quickest time that you knew a pitch to want and and the longest because I know usually it, you you have a good idea, but I am curious um, the longest pitch that it took you to really kind of get it as well. So share one one of each. Um. What I mean, I don't know. How fast did I sign Perlock? That was pretty fast. You were you were on that, and Jerry was there, <laughs> like next day, I think. Uh, yeah, well, I, but I think we committed on like two games that I can think that we committed almost on spot would be Perlock comes from Stephen. How do you say his last name? Sour. Sour, just like yeah, I would think. All right, Pearl, and if Jerry's standing by this, obviously Jerry's the VP of New Business Development, IDW, and ultimately the contract comes from him. And ultimately, he and I are excitable people. And if you get us both excited in the same moment, there's not going to be much stopping it. So um, that was the probably uh, Perlock was a very quick yes to to a verbal commitment. Uh, similar to Masculine Red Death signed at Origins this year, which was we got a little bit of the way through. Adam was running late. He had to go to another meeting. I saw the vision for a full game line off his property, called Jerry on the spot and said, can we just you know, not worry about it and offer a deal? So those two were probably quickest on spot. Um, and it was because they fit the vision of IDW very well um, and, and the gameplay was there. It was everything kind of things we were looking for in marketplace. Um, I didn't think we would make an offer on, but then came back to is Saikatsu. Uh, in playing with Matt and Isaac, it was a game that, you know, we played and it was really beautiful and it was awesome, but it was really niche. It was two to three player. And I just wasn't sure about the sensibility. really enjoyed it, but I was just not sure. And they came back about, okay we've got four player now and that was hilarious and then mentioned but going back to the office it took talking about that game with jerry and kurt the the vp of sales and explaining the game to them and them really getting excited about it just from the explanation so that was a longer stretch time of really knowing it was something we had to have probably and it's just that's one of those games that'll burrow in the back of your head and that that's a those are great We're going to try this again. <laughs> okay. I put Ichi in the back room, so she's the she's the main culprit. Um, anyway, I wanted to actually step it back a little bit because we jumped, we jumped really fast into the concept of pitching and, and that kind of stuff. But I want to step it back for a minute and uh, talk about kind of the basics of pitching and what the idea is when you're pitching a game for maybe the viewers that aren't 100% familiar with it. Um, so if you could mm. tell us just... I, I feel really bad because you're, you're our only guest right now, so we're just like hammering you with questions, Nate. Uh, I'm used to it. But um, can you just back it up and talk about kind of just like umbrella what a pitch is to a publisher and what kind of the general goal of a pitch is? I mean, for some people it's being signed, but other people's it could be setting a line or like there's lots of different things that you could be pitching. So if you could just step us back and talk about the general concept of Definitely. pitch. Definitely. So for me, I want to be pitched games, not ideas. Um, that's an important distinction. It, uh, 
you know, I get sometimes people tweeting at me and it's like, this license would be the perfect game. I've got an idea for it. I'm like, okay, what's the idea? And they're like, well, you have the dragon in there from, wouldn't that be great? I'm like, yeah, dragon marker is great. That's an idea. So the, the first thing is, is um, a fully readied concept game lines i don't think is something i want to hear like hearing 10 expansions down um makes me nervous because i I don't want to set unrealistic expectations with the desire like it's a bit of understanding how we're going to work together how flexible everyone's going to be whether we're going to be able to pivot if needed um so all those things are important um I'm looking for just a clear, concise game, like one product, and then the questions become, and, you know, I have this conversation with designers all the time. Okay, could we expand on this? Is that, Do you see this being the only game in this line? Could we go in a different direction? And, and sometimes I'll pitch building them into different things that fall apart. I think for Kevin Wilson's Awesome Kingdom, my vision for that line was we do 10 Awesome Kingdoms that become awesome world and it becomes an area control game that highlight all those small box games. So sometimes the product vision can come from my end too. So really just come in knowing your game, knowing your world. Enough. So did that cover that? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, Brian. Oh yeah. Uh, no, um, so when we're talking about pitching, cause we're, we're going to that, what advice do you have to, you know, game designers, that when they're pitching to you, what are the do's and don'ts? Especially like uh, where, where, when, how? Totally. So um, you can pitch by email or Twitter or any time. And if you do that, uh, be ready because it looks bad when you say, hey, will you look at my game? And I say, sure, send a sell sheet rules and a, and a quick pitch video. And then you go, oh, okay, give me a week. <laughs> don't, don't reach out until you're ready. Um, if we're going to talk at a convention, it's best that you set an appointment. Um, and then if you set that appointment, please show up on time or just like five minutes early, but not 20 minutes early because likely there's someone else having, it's just like you should show up to a job interview. Like they don't know where to put you 20 minutes early, but five to eight minutes early is perfect. Uh, that said, if someone else is running late on their pitch, please be a little patient. I'll try and catch with you. Be a human being. So, you know, um, that's important. Like, I'm not a robot. I have feelings. I care. I want to like you. Um, I want to work with people I like. And there's enough good games out there that I actively don't want to work with people I don't like. So if if I find you to be inflexible and, and brutish or rude, uh, that's, that's going to hurt your case. Like, play improv with me. It, it, let's go yes and not... No, it has to be like that. So if I'm like, oh, could this be that? Yeah, yeah, we could do that. We could at least explore it. Like, I'm looking for how you're going to be as a partner because you're going to take for hours and hours. It's not just you're going to hand over a, a thing and then it's going to come back to you in a pretty box with the UC and that's it. And then your friends are going to buy it. You're going to be involved along the way. I'm, I'm, and I'm sometimes annoyingly bugging designers when I have a fun idea and I want to see if you're like, does that excite you that I just, you know, Facebook chat, you're like, oh man, I'm switching your artist and going to this, you know, hey, can we add, can we cut this, change that? I, I, I get a little excitable. So I look for people like that as well. Um, and that's it. Be human and be open to 
those little notes, you know, when I see your shoulder, when your body language clamp up, when I look at your baby and go, yeah, here's the interesting part, the fluff right here, maybe not as much. And your, your hackles are up. It's, I don't know that we're going to work together really. Right. How many times do you hear this? Is just a pointed question. How many times do you hear, well, my, my friends and my uh, family really love this game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not a, that's not a note. Like what's the, that's that's another great flag because that's not an actual or quantifiable note. It's been play tested extensively with my friends and family, and they all think it's fun. Okay, but what's fun? Right. And and going back to your language, if if you're going to be in the space, we're in business, so show your market research. I mean, I, you should say, well, it's like this game but better, and that, and maybe that's a very bold statement. Or if you feel uncomfortable saying you've designed, like I wouldn't say something's like coup, but better because I love coup. But I could say it takes elements from coup and elements from this, and I think that it's a brand new twist because of that. Like uh, Dracula's Feast, that, that's on Kickstarter right now. I might pitch like that. It's because it's no moderation, elimination, deduction. So it could be well, it's coup werewolf meets this that you know, and it's got a fun twist in the in the theme and art. So know your space. It, it, it is a big red flag to not know current games. It is very frustrating. Uh, yes, absolutely. And thank you for the shout-out to Peter's Game Dracula's Feast. Uh, local Toronto designer, great guy. Um, I gotta, I'm going to start changing gears a bit. I know Josh is going to be jumping in here any minute. And I know um, we, we're... We're already halfway through the show, which is incredible. But let's uh, let's start gearing uh, the discussion towards a little bit more of the development process. We we've heard heard some stuff for pitching, and if people have more questions about that, feel free to uh, send them in. Uh, but I uh, and we'll we'll try to maybe come back to pitching if if uh, if we get through the development discussion quickly. But I'm curious, Nate, could you describe a little bit about uh, IDW and Pandasaurus? Uh, if you want to comment a bit about them as well, what the development process is like. I'm sure some people are even confused. Like, is there two companies there? How does that work? And then uh, what's the development process, especially like timeline, things like that. Um, what what should people expect? Uh, yeah, Panasaurus does their own development and brings their own games to market. They helped IDW initially as far as development. Currently, we do development in-house, and they're doing their games, and we're, we're helping bring them to market. Um, Timeline-wise, it's always uh, going to be shifting depending on market demand, how long your game takes to make, and um, oh, some time, and then something will come in that seems like it's a very hot-to-market game, and that'll move up the list some. So you have to be understanding that that's just the way of the world. Um, some, some, you know, going to Hollywood, you know, sometimes you've got a beautiful character piece, but sometimes the next big action script comes in and you got to crank that thing out. You got to make Batman too. Uh, so that's, that's where that is really. You need to be flexible on development. Sorry. The puppy is now currently trying to play with the cat. Uh, behind my laptop. This is a great stream for me, guys. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, I was, oh yeah, no, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
you want to go Brian or me? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, well we did a question from YouTube and we talk about, you yeah. Know, uh, wait a minute oh. for Josh. Just about, Oh, Actually, there he let's, is. Let's, Hello. let's introduce. Hey Josh, how are you doing? Uh, fashionably late as I like to be. Well, you know it. So, <laughs> my apologies for miscommunication, but we're glad that you're here and maybe we'll, we'll pepper you with a couple questions and give Nate, uh, a chance, uh, grab a breath um actually I'll, I'll start off actually with a with a question we've already asked nate but we'll get you started and this will also kind of describe your role okay um but can you tell us a little bit about <clears throat> some of the titles that people might know of gray fox and then also what kind of games are you looking to get pitched um yeah sure i mean i think uh, i'll answer the, the second question first because it's it's easier for me um the, we're looking to get pitched on basically everything um, Gray Fox is trying to create as diverse a line as possible. Um, some of our most popular titles include Champions of Midgard and Deception, Murder in Hong Kong. So uh, kind of like a middleweight worker placement game uh, and then a kind of Mysterium meets Resistance style party game. We just released London Dread, which is a fairly complicated, very thematic um, Victorian era horror game with time pressure. So it's kind of Space Alert meets Arkham Horror. So those three games are at three different places on the spectrum, which I think gives an idea that we're also trying to push our line kind of all over the spectrum. Um, it's easier for me to assign games that I think uh, that I think have gamer appeal and then also appeal to a crossover audience like Champions of Midgard. Like it's a good worker placement game for gamers, but it's not so complex that you can't play it with your family. But like we also have games like London Dread and Study in Emerald Second Edition, so we like stuff that is kind of strictly gamer fodder as well. Excellent. Well, um, we were we were just getting into the um, uh, discussion of development from the publisher side. We talked a lot about the pitches and you know getting your game signed by a publisher. Now let's talk about the actual development process. Um, when a game is when you sign a game, hmm. you know. How how um, much change do you typically make in a game? Are you looking for a game that is pretty much done, and you just want to do a few tweaks, or do you get a do you ta sometimes take a game based on wow, this is a really good concept, we can tweak it to fit how we really want it to fit our line, and we make some we make a lot, a lot of changes. Uh, I mean, I think that mostly we're I'm looking to get games that are as done as possible, um, right? Mm -hmm. Like we we want a game that is that is complete for everything except maybe the theme and just go, yes, we think this is perfect and it's a good fit for our line. And then we put it out into testing and blind play testing um, and see if sort of our target audience agrees that the game is where we want it to be. And sometimes we pick up a game and it works out great. We get it and we're like, yes, this looks fun. It seems fun. It's perfect. And like based on what we saw at a convention or whatever, it's good to go. And we get the art set and get the game rolling. And a lot of times that's not true. A lot of times you sit down and you see a game in a, a five minute period or a 30 minute period, and then you put it into testing and you find out the game is not as finished as you think it is. And then that's where we have to do a lot of development. I don't think we ever set out to do games that need a ton of development. Like it's difficult for us to want to sign a game based on concept because mm -hmm. you, just, you just don't know how much work that's going to be. And if the publisher needs to put two years of development work into the game, um, they would have been better off signing something that was more complete. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that puppies have come down, um, Nate. So on the lines of development and the like, 
signing something that may take too long or, or whatnot. How do you, is there an internal development team? Is it mostly like only a certain people or do you outsource? Like what is the, the makeup of when it, we talk about a publisher doing development? What does that generally look like? Um, I mean, I, I oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, it's Nate. <laughs> Please, Nate. Yes. Wow, that audio sounded strange. <laughs> uh, from our team, typically that has been uh, myself and then uh, the thoughts of uh, you know Jerry and Kurt at a high level and then uh, my graphic designers have been great about offering their notes they're pretty serious gamers as well and then going back to the designer with what we think and working in an iterative space like that because sometimes when you want to whack a chunk out of somebody's game you don't just you know hold your hammer and say it is done you go look we want to cut this or we want to tweak that you good with that you know uh, so that's with uh, our small group and, and just kicks back and forth with the designer a few times. And unfortunately, guys, I've got to get out of here in about uh, three minutes because they're yelling at me to come downstairs and, and get set up. That, that's fine. Well, I guess we'll just do that kind of a handoff and then jo- Josh can cover the second half. This will, this will work great. Yeah, it's uh, almost like we planned it. Yeah, it was, it was totally planned. Yeah, yeah. this was the plan. Josh, uh, enjoy the hot seat. I do... Uh, I, I do don't envy you. <laughs> no, it's been fun. Uh, and anybody looking for more pitch stuff, you can pitch me all the time. I, I'm sure my contact info's out there. I always look at games, especially while I'm traveling these next few days. I have super bad insomnia in hotels, so I'm happy to read rule books and get chat me. And uh, if you're in Atlanta, come play with me right now. We're playing Turtles in the Omni. There you had it. So thanks, thanks, Nate. All right, great. All right. Uh, well, then let's uh, let's pepper right. Josh with uh, a few questions. And while we're on the development side, um, let's uh, let's first talk a little bit about what what kind of a uh, caseload, do, or you know, how many games does uh, someone like Gray Fox handle at the same time? What's the uh, what's uh, you know typically? And I know you guys are still figuring this out, but what is typically how many games you have kind of in the pipeline and at what different stages? Um, I mean, I'd say that we have anywhere between like eight and 12 games in the pipeline at any given time. And uh, I don't know. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I want to say that they're all as done as possible, but the reality is that, uh, is that some of them are not, are not close. Um, and I mean, basically we want to have, we want to have our schedule set for the, for the next year and then have an idea of what's coming out the year after that and kind of prioritize the games, um, as, as they reach completion. Uh, I'm usually working on maybe five or six games at any given time with varying degrees of attention where I am doing development work and then handing it back to the designer or handing it off to another developer and then moving on to another project. So we try and keep them cycling all the time. Um, I can't necessarily speak to how other publishers do it, but it's certainly a way that, um, that I manage to stay fresh on the creative side of a project is not, um, like locking in on on one particular project unless we're really tight on a deadline. I like to work as as I can and then pass it off and move on to something else because I get to constantly be looking at our projects with fresh eyes. Excellent. So that brings up a question about, you know, working with a designer. Um, Have you ever had an instance where you wanted to make a change you felt really strong about and the, the designer 
was real felt really strong about his position and and how do you guys overcome that impasse if that happens uh i mean it, it does happen from time to time and uh i mean we've never actually we've never actually come to loggerheads with anybody about it we have differences of opinion and like everybody wants to kind of defend what they believe is best for the game because ultimately everybody wants the same thing for the game we want it to come out we want it to be fun we want as many people to pick it up as possible and so since we're all working towards the same goal like even when we disagree about a development direction it's never contentious usually we just make both versions of the game and send them out into blind play testing and see how the feedback comes back and if one position is borne out over the other by our focus groups and our testers, then we have our answer, and there's really no need to fight about it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so muting crazy puppy. Uh, uh, this is a great show for me this week. <laughs> so uh, that's great that you involve questions, and it. it's a discussion um, where you basically play it out. Uh, but when it comes to development and, and the concept of playing it out, do you, I understand some games need a lot more development than other games, but when you get a game and you're like, oh, this is perfect, we could just print this tomorrow, do you still run it through just the same rigmarole you would run through another game? Like, what does that look like? Like, how much testing or just, yeah, involvement of other people maybe, or, yeah. Yeah, I mean, every every game we have goes through testing and blind play testing, regardless of how convinced we are that it's ready. Um, because just because I play a game at a convention and I think it's fantastic doesn't necessarily mean that there's an audience for it. <laughs> um, so we, we try and put all the games through the same paces. And obviously, if a game needs a lot of development work, if it comes back with, um, with problems, if people identify parts of the game that don't work or are not fun, um, then it goes through more testing than others. Um, I generally, I plan for uh, three rounds of blind blind testing, because I think there's always something that can be tweaked, even if that is just the rule book. Um, so if we send it out and the game is fun and people go, but I didn't understand this, or they give me notes where it indicates to me that they played something wrong, we'll rewrite the rule book and then send it out to another group without changing the game. Um, if a game needs a lot of work, it comes back and and we identify a problem, then we spend some time developing it before sending it into blind play testing. Like London Dread went through a year and a half of development because the game is incredibly complex, and uh, and I I know now that it's released that the rule rule book could still be better. <laughs> what I can tell you is that it's a lot better now than it would have been if we had released it six months ago. Despite the fact the game has been in this state pretty much since then. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, question about the development. Um, process again is have you ever signed a game you know you've play tested it maybe in-house you've signed a game and you send it out for blind pay testing and there are some major things that you didn't catch or some you know maybe combos or things that you feel might break the game um have you ever had an instance where you've gone through that gotten to that phase and you end up canceling that project or canceling that contract because something like that has happened not yet <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, we, we've certainly sent out games that that have come back with um, with a much less enthusiastic response than we expected, or that have come back where people have found a mechanic that we were particularly fond of to not work or not be fun, and had to go back to the drawing board with it. But to date, like every game that we've released has over has overcome those problems. I mean, we have games in the queue that have been in that have been signed for you know a year, a year and a half 
that aren't ready yet because they they have some development issues. But I mean, the response for us is always that there's something at the core of this game that made it attractive to us to begin with, and we believe that we can polish the game up to bring that out. We won't release the game until it's ready, but neither are we interested in just saying, well, the feedback wasn't what we wanted it to be, so we're going to drop the project. Like. Once, once we've signed a game, we're, we're pretty well committed, not just because we think that we owe it to the designer, but because we, we believed in the game when we signed it, and if, if we find out there's something wrong with it, we'd like to believe that we can fix it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, let me uh, circle around a bit, um, because you weren't here for the pitching side of the discussion, and I think actually this would tie both pitching and uh, development together, but I'm, sh- I'm curious uh, for yourself, when you're at conventions, um, a, you know, where are you spending most of your time? What are you doing? How can people be pitching to you? And then two, do you ever use conventions as a time to also do development or blind testing and stuff like that? Um, so at, at conventions, my role with Gray Fox has evolved. I used to spend a lot more time at the booth and kind of running the booth. And now we pass a lot more of that work off onto volunteers or at the biggest biggest conventions. We have another full-time employee now because the company has grown a little bit and they oversee a lot of that. So most of my time at conventions is, see, is seeing prototypes or meeting with international publishers to talk about licensing agreements for our games or their games. Um, so conventions are absolutely the best time to pitch to me. Um, I mean, people can pitch to me anytime. They can send me rule books, they can send me prototypes, and I will slot them into the, into the queue. But I do a lot of that at conventions also. And I mean, just an email beforehand, and we can set up a time. Um, sorry, bring, bring me back to the second question. Oh, and I was just curious if you do any development or blind testing at conventions as well. <laughs> Sometimes the smaller the convention, the more likely I get to do some of that. Like we attended Mace in North Carolina one year, um, and that was a small enough convention that the booth was essentially just sales, and we had table space that I was just using to run prototypes of games that were in the queue. Um, at something like Gen Con or Essen, absolutely not. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I barely have time to sleep, let alone do anything else. But I mean, it doesn't change the fact that like. My mind is always on my projects, and some of my best sort of ideas for development come when I'm not sitting at the development table. They come when I've just woken up, or when I'm having a shower, or when I'm sitting at the bar. And so a lot of times I'll be at a convention, and something will occur to me, and I'll take down a bunch of notes, and then we'll try and plug some of that stuff into the game when I get home. So I think like like many creative endeavors, um, once you start it, it's kind of always ongoing, whether you think you're focusing on it or not. Yeah. What about once a game has been published and it's out, like you mentioned London Dread, you're already like, oh, the rule, rule book could be better. Is it is it very common for you to keep thinking about a game that you've already released? Or are you like, it's done, we're done, wipe it from my mind? I mean, like, do you keep thinking about it? If you think about it too much, do you do like uh, some sort of um, update? Or is that where expansions come in? Or like, yeah. Yeah, I wish that when a game came out, it was just gone from my consciousness forever. And I'm like, whew, fresh onto a new project. But un- unfortunately, it doesn't work that way for me. Um, I think I think about a game until until I feel that it's as, as good as we can get it. And so, like, we always try and release a game as good as we can get it. But, I mean, as much playtesting as we do, whether we show it to 100 people or 300 people or 500 people, when you start selling 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 copies, people see stuff that you didn't see before. <laughs> and so we, we update games if we need to. 
Um, and certainly we think about expansions. We have an expansion for Champions to Midgard um, coming out quarter one. Um, but none of that is to fix anything that we think is wrong with the game. It's to add more to what we think is already a great game. But when Champions of Midgard went to its third printing, um, we updated the rulebook uh, entirely. We switched one graphic on the board. And so between print runs, if we think a game needs improvements, we will make those improvements. <laughs> Sorry, we're going to have a kitty visitor, I think. She's looking like she's coming in. I wanted to follow That's up on perfect. that. Um, oh, she's like, nope, I don't want to be on camera. Um, so when you're talking about an expansion, when you when you do an expansion, how often is it the publisher is like, we've been thinking about this a lot and we want to do this expansion and you approach the designer or is it usually the designer that's like, hey, been playing this and this is an idea. Like how much of it is one or the other usually? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends. Like, often designers will come to us with a game idea and tell us that they already have expansion ideas. And when when a designer tells me that when they're pitching a game to me, I ask them to give me everything. <laughs> like, I want to see the game and everything that they think are the expansions and make them the best game possible. And so, um, I, I don't know. For the games that we're looking at doing expansions for, it's mostly been kind of publisher side that the game has done really well and we've gone man if we could put out more content for this game we already have a fan base that would appreciate it um but the de designer is certainly part of that process like we didn't sit down with champions of midgard and go we should make an expansion we called up ola and said hey the game is doing really good do you have any expansion ideas and he said oh yeah i have a ton of expansion ideas and started sending us kits to to look at and tweak and test um london dread is also a game that um that is going to have expansions because the designers have been really passionate about the story from the beginning. The game is really thematic and really story driven, but you can only convey so much of a narrative in like a 90 minute board gaming session. So where that game ends, the story doesn't end for them. It's written well beyond that point. And so they're already working on expansions to incorporate that narrative with some new mechanics. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about the, uh, development slash publishing side, pitching side, all, all, all rolled into one. Um, do you have any turnoffs when it comes to people pitching uh, themes? Are there anything that, that you go, mm, I'm so sick of seeing that, that I, please don't pitch me that game. I know on Facebook there was a publisher that was like, no more dwarfs. You know? <laughs> so what, do you have anything or are you pretty open to everything? I mean, the, the short answer to that is is no. I don't have anything that I will just like not look at because of theme. Um, because I, I think that if a theme is if a theme is really well integrated to a game and the designer has built their game around their theme, it's already the right theme for the game, even if I think it's overdone. If the theme is not intricately tied to the mechanics, then it's almost irrelevant at that point, and the theme can be whatever whatever it needs to be. And so all all I want is for the game to be fun. And if you have a game that's that has to be dwarves and it doesn't make sense as anything else then that's fine we'll make it as dwarves and if you have a game that's that's really fun and it happens to be dwarves and everybody else is doing dwarves like like i'm not going to make a viking game or a zombie game right now unless it's really right. Right. what about what about <laughs> mechanics is it i mean same thing with mechanics or because you know there was that there was a period of time where it, everything was deck builder i've got this great deck builder game you know <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll admit some hesitancy. Like, not, nothing, I, I don't, no sort of design will be 
exempt from being seen because of its mechanics or its theme. But certainly I'm going to look at a deck builder more skeptically than I'm going to look at something else. I'm going to look at a worker placement game more skeptically than I'm going to look at somebody at something else because when you're using a, a mechanic that is so tried and true, the game really has to do something incredible to catch people's attention. If it's just another deck builder, then nobody's going to want to make it because nobody's going to want to play it. That makes total sense. Although I do remember uh, chatting, I think it was with you and Shane, and uh, I think it was Space Themes with International Partners. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, something that, that we are aware of is that um, we've been told by lots of international publishers that Space is a theme that doesn't sell well for them. And so as far as making partnerships goes, um, it's harder to license a Space-themed game. And that was true for quite some time and maybe it's not true anymore maybe it's something that became a, a truism or a, a bit of lore that people abided by but terraforming mars is certainly not um is certainly not being thrown off of anybody's radar in europe because it's because it's, uh, it's set in space i want to call that a space game though that's a mars game yeah, I'm fair that's enough. Like saying, that's like saying Earth is in space, so that's all games on Earth are space games. <laughs> I don't know that I'd take it that far, but I, I see your point. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, Mars is hot right now. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always hot. It's close to the sun. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's... It, I, I don't know. It's something that I'm wary of, and if somebody pitches me a space game, it's it's going to get the same treatment as anything else from me. If the game, if space is really sort of built into the mechanics, and the game doesn't make sense somewhere else, and it's all part of the theme, and the game is fun, then the fact that European publishers hypothetically don't like space be damned. Like we're going to make that game the way it is because it's great. If it's if the game is just cool mechanics and a tacked on space theme, then yeah, maybe we'll do something else. Absolutely. <laughs> Now, I, I'm curious, you, you mentioned you already have um, some playtest groups and different things like that, but for anyone watching, if they were interested in getting involved with playtesting or um, any of that process, first of all, how would they get involved with Gray Fox and any tips would you give for people to be a productive playtester? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, they, if people want to play test, they can reach out to me at any time. They can send me a message at josh at grayfoxgames.com. They can hit me up on Twitter at jlobkovitz. Um, I'm always looking for new play testers. And sadly, mostly I'm looking for play testers in the US. I would love to have an international perspective, but I send my play testers full prototypes. Generally, I don't ask them to print and play, uh, and it kills me to ship overseas. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're always looking for more people to, to play because we value having diverse opinions and it's, it's great to have lots of groups as opposed to inundating groups. As much as you think your group loves playtesting, uh, it turns out that if you put six prototypes in front of them every week that they don't love playtesting that much anymore. <laughs> um, so the more the merrier, um, as far as being a good playtester, like, I don't know. It's like being a good critic of anything. Like you, when you are looking at a prototype, is it's like when you're reading a book in college, or like when you're writing a review of a film. Like you're not you're not enjoying you're not enjoying your preferred medium of entertainment just for entertainment anymore. You want to play a game critically. You want to be trying to you want to be trying to break a game. You want to be trying to find what is wrong with it. Um, and if you find yourself having fun in spite of that, then the game is ready. <laughs> um, but mostly, I, I look to have playtest group leaders who can look at a game 
as critically as they need to, but also put it just in front of a group of people who just wants to play because I, I need feedback from, from both groups. And when we send out prototypes, I provide two different surveys, one for the person who ran the game and one for the um, people who played the game. And mostly for me, it's about them rating their experience. The most valuable questions that I ask them are, what are the thing, what's the thing that you liked most about this game? And what is the thing that you liked least about this game? Um, and uh, honestly, what you like least is generally more valuable to me from a, from a development perspective. Yeah, we, um, we did an episode on playtesting not too long ago. And one of the things that was discussed was um, recording playtest sessions. Do you find, uh, do you ever request that playtesters record like the audio or sometimes even the video of a playtest session and then send it to you? Or is the survey good enough for you guys? Um, the survey is good enough for me. I think, I mean, first of all, I think that would be a lot of work to put somebody who's essentially a volunteer through. Um, I don't, I don't want to impose on them. They're already doing me a huge favor, but also um, we do enough internal testing that I can see the way that people actually play. And like, I teach, I teach games to people in my local area and have them play all the time. And it's a group of people that knows me well enough that, uh, that they see enough prototypes that they don't sit down and have that kind of first response that a lot of people do when they're playing prototypes. They're just like, oh yeah, that was fun because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Like they'll, they'll hurt my feelings and I can watch them play and tell whether or not they're having a good time. And that's enough sort of audio visual stuff for me to work with. By the time it goes out to blind playtesting, I'm generally pretty convinced that the game is solid. Um, and at that point, I, I can trust those surveys to tell me everything that I need to know about the game. <laughs> Yeah. So um, what advice would uh, you give new game designers as a publisher? Um, I mean, the, the biggest piece of advice I would give to new game designers is just to design the game that you want to play. I see in the designer forums all the time people trying to make a game that they think is marketable. And if you're an established designer, maybe that is a, a good tack for you. If you're a new designer, like... I don't think that you're really ever going to have your finger on the pulse of the industry in a way that that's going to be an attainable goal for you. And you're going to end up with a product that is not great for anybody because it's not full of your passion. I mean, people need to need to pursue the thing that got them here. And if they are enough into games that they want to make their own, they should just make the game that they want to play. And when they think it's fun, then it's ready to show to a publisher. But if they are looking about what a publisher wants before they've started or, or finished or even started the game design, I think they're putting the cart before the horse a little bit. <laughs> Great advice there. Thank you so much, Josh. I can't believe how fast uh, that time went by, but I uh, just want to say thank you for being here. Thanks so and, much for having uh, me. It was fun talking to you guys. Uh, and he already mentioned, mentioned again your email and Twitter. Yep, so people can reach out to me at josh at grayfoxgames.com. Um, Twitter, they can find me at jlobkovitz the letter J, and then L-O-B-K-O-W-I-C-Z. Uh, they can also follow Gray Fox Games at Gray Fox Games, but if they want to reach out to me directly, um, or if they want a timely response, they should reach out to me directly. <laughs> so, there, so there you had it. So uh, anyone who has got a great design, please uh, send it Josh's way. He'd love to see your game. If you have sure, questions, sure. I'm sure knowing Josh, he loves interacting with people and sharing uh, the experience that he's gained. Uh, with others. I uh, just want to say thank you to our viewers for tuning in. Uh, if this is uh, your lunchtime or maybe even your breakfast if you're at the West Coast, we really appreciate you hanging out with us. A little quick plug to next week's show. We have JT Smith, 
uh, from Game Crafter and Ben Rosette from Panda Games. We're going to be talking about prototyping, and we're also going to be talking about keeping production in mind while designing games. So uh, if you have any questions along those lines, and uh, rumor has it that uh, the bearded meeple Tyler Anderson might be uh, popping in to say hi. He's been real busy this season uh, with a new job, but uh, he mentioned to me that he was hoping uh, he might have uh, afternoon shift at the new job, so he might pop on uh, if he can. So until then, uh, I just want to say thanks and have a great week, and don't be shy. We love hearing from you. If you have uh, questions or ideas for future episodes or you think you have something to share and would like to be on a future episode, uh, we'd love to have you. So until then, keep making great games, and we look forward to playing them soon. Ciao. See ya. I don't have the music, so dun da 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 da